I reckon being a sound guy is pretty easy. I could do that heaps easy. Look, I just plugged in a cord myself. <laughs> Thanks for keeping me humble, God. <laughs> uh, all right. Real keen for this week together. It's going to be awesome as we dig into the church. Um, but I don't know if you realize this. Uh, people say that the church is dying. That's what people are saying. In places like Australia, <laughs> sorry, Maddie. In places like Australia, church attendance is just is just it's declining. It's dropping. In Australia, if you went into a random high school and asked a hundred teenagers like yourselves, uh, how many of you people go to church, like a public school, about probably three of them would probably go to church. If you did the same thing to your parents when they were at high school, if you asked hundred teenagers from your parents' age, if they went to church when they were in high school, about like 50 of them would have gone to church. If you did the same thing with your grandparents, about 80 to 90 of those people would have gone to church back in the day. And so people say that the church is dying. Now, your experience of church might be a little bit different to this, but statistics say, right, that if you went and visited the average church in Australia on a given weekend, what you'd find would be about kind of 40 old people, a few families, an ageing minister talking about a God that most people in Australia don't seem to believe in anymore and some people singing some old songs that seem a little bit out of touch. That's what you'd find in the average church in Australia. Now, that might sound pretty grim, uh, but that's, that's the reality in Australia at the moment. And so you have to ask the question, is the church relevant anymore? Is the church past it's used by date. Is it just out of touch? Now, I don't know if you guys realise this, but there is a sense in which what we're doing here this week together for a week is essentially church. It's got all the things that make up what church is. <laughs> so basically, we're going to be spending a week here at FAT doing church together in a sense. <laughs> and so I want to ask the question, man, are we wasting our time? Are you guys crazy for taking a week of your school holidays and spending it basically doing church. <laughs> it actually sounds pretty crazy when you think about it. You guys are kind of nuts. <laughs> but what I want us to see is that when you see what the church is from God's perspective, it's far from being crazy. Because this week we're going to see the church from God's perspective as we dig into God's Word in the Bible. And what we're going to see is that, ch- that the church is more than relevant. It's much more than relevant. The church is the most important gathering in the world. It's one of the greatest, if not the greatest thing that Jesus achieved in his life. And so let's pray that as we dig into God's word this week, we'd see the church for what it really is because it is an amazing thing and that's what we're going to see as we unpack the Bible together. So let's pray and then look at this Bible together. Let's pray. Father God, We want to begin by thanking you for your word. We we give you so much thanks that you speak to us um, as a God who knows us, as a God who makes himself clear. And we pray that you do that this week. Please, Lord, blow us away by the church and what it is um, and all the incredible things that you have for us in your word. And Father, I pray that this week would just be life-changing as we listen to your words here in 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 your word. Amen. All right, now the first thing I want us to do is to actually come right back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2 this morning. And what we're going to see is a pattern. Here's the pattern. First point, number one, God blesses by gathering. 
and God judges by scattering. So come to Genesis 2 with me uh, and we'll pick it up in just a second. But as, as you're heading there, it's worthwhile recognizing, isn't it, that um, we get the fact that being gathered is a good thing. So most of us like to be at the party where everyone else is. We like to be gathered in that way. If, if we said, is, is, is conflict um, a bad thing in the world kind of sphere? Is, is world peace a good thing? We would say, yeah, world peace is a good thing. If all the world would get on and be gathered together, that would be great. When you're watching like dumb TV shows and you see these kind of families that are like happily together and they're all cool and having fun together, we secretly wish that our families were a little bit like that, even though it's a bit corny. We get that being gathered is a good thing. And we get that being scattered, being separated out from people is a bad thing. We do understand that. So my son Luca, right, when he's naughty, like one minute he's like having a grand old time throwing spaghetti around the room. But then when he's naughty, when he does that, we grab him and we put him in what's called time out, which is just a corner in our house. We're like, you're in time out now. And you just sit him in the corner. And then suddenly he's separated out from us. He's scattered away from us and he just turns to tears. He's just like, oh, he's the worst thing in the world. He's just crying. He's just in the corner over there. But he knows it's separation and he hates it. If you move to a new school and you're there without your friends, it's a hard thing. It's, it's, it sucks to be separated like that. If, you're spl- if your family splits up, your parents split up, and your dad ends up in Queensland and your mum's in Sydney or whatever, that's hard. The idea of separation, of being scattered away from the people that we love, we all know that that's a bad thing. So this pattern of being scattered and being gathered is a familiar thing. And what I want us to see in the Bible is that this history of being scattered and gathered in, in a big sense is actually the history of the world. This is what God's been doing in the world. See, in chapter 2 of Genesis, you've got man and he's been created and he's with God in the garden. And so you'd think that would all be pretty good. But the first thing we hear is that man is alone and that's not good. And so God decides to do something about it. He decides to gather the man with other people. And so look at chapter 2, verse 20, halfway through the verse. It says, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he'd taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And then he has his little happy, happy, joy, joy speech where he's like, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And so right there at the beginning of the Bible, you've got this picture of a man who was alone, but now there's a woman there with him and he's gathered with her and he's loving it. It's a blessing to be together. But very soon, if you were here on Fat, you would have saw this last year, this gathering actually gets busted up in chapter 3 because sin comes into the picture. And they sin for the first time by disobeying God. In chapter 3, verse 6, they've just eaten the fruit, right? And you might know a little bit about that. And then straight away in, cha- in verse 7, look what happens. So they eat the fruit. Look at verse 7 in chapter 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked, which would have been like a rude surprise. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And so as soon as sin enters the, the whole context of the garden, as soon as they sin and the world is broken in that way, they're now... Um, they don't trust each other like they did. There's this separation that begins to form between the man and the woman. And not only that, they actually, immediately there's distance created between mankind and God. Look at verse 8. 
Very next thing. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so what did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so straight away what you've got is broken relationships between humanity where they're separating out from each other and relationships between God and humanity starting to stretch and, and separate as well. And then at the end of chapter 3, so this is really moving quick and you, you'll slow down in a second, but at the end of chapter 3, have a look at the picture of being scattered here in verse 23 and 24. Look at this. This is after God dishes out his judgment. <clears throat> so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out of the garden, he placed them on the east side of the Garden of Eden. Sorry, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing backwards and forwards to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Now, cherubim is like, it's a bit of a confusing thing, but it's like a, a monster type thing that's keeping them out of the garden as well as a sword blocking them, right? So the point is, they were in the garden with God and now they've been scattered out into the broken world without God and now with broken relationships with each other. God judges through scattering people. Now, I'm just going to have a quick drink, sorry. I want to show us one more thing in Genesis, though, before we move on. Um, What happens after Genesis chapter 3 is that mankind just basically spirals into this terrible kind of pit of violence and broken relationship and sin, and it just gets worse and worse. But then in chapter 11 in Genesis, it starts to look like things might be getting better because humanity starts to kind of get together and become united again. And you're like, oh, this is good. They're getting together. They're getting their acts together. And it's at the Tower of Babel. But as you read chapter 11, if you flick there now, what you find is what they're doing is they're actually banding together to see how great they can make themselves and basically see if they can replace God. They're trying to make a name for themselves, lift themselves up and basically replace God. And so God realizes that he needs to do something about this. He needs to judge mankind once again and so look at what he does in chapter 11 god says verse 7 come let's go down and confuse their language so that humanity won't understand each other verse 8 so the lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they were stopped and they stopped building the city and that is why it's called babel because the lord confused the language of the whole world from there the lord scattered them all over the face of the whole earth Once again, the pattern there is that God judges through scattering people apart from each other, through separating them out and spreading them out. See, there is something fundamental about humans, right, where we are actually built for relationship. We want relationship. It's built into who we are. And and so a form of judgment that means pushing against that does make sense. Like what happens in class, right, when you're being naughty and you're whispering or whatever with your friend, you get in trouble in school, what do your teachers do? One of the first things they'll do is they'll grab one of you and they'll separate you and you have to sit down the front and your friend sits up the back. That's what happens in school. Same thing happens in prison. Not that I've ever been to prison, but I've seen a lot of movies, right? And in, in movies, what happens is like everyone's locked up in a prison, but if they're fighting or doing something bad then the guards take them and they put them in solitary confinement. And so now you're locked up in a cell, completely isolated from everyone else around you. Isolation, being scattered, being separated from people is a huge thing. And the pattern that the Bible establishes right from the start is this. 
God blesses by gathering people together and he judges by scattering them apart. I've got one more passage in the Old Testament for you. Fast forward like a bunch of hundreds of years into Deuteronomy, right? And what? go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. In this passage, God has gathered his people Israel together. He's given them a name, they're now a people. And so just a quick kind of spoiler, this is after Exodus, which means they do get out of Egypt. Spoiler alert, that's what happens. Hayes, you don't have to listen to the rest of the talks now. No, I'm just kidding, you do have to listen to the morning talks. But they do get out of Egypt, right? They're about to go into the promised land that God's given them. Come to Deuteronomy chapter 4 with me. I like the sound of that paper, by the way. Well done. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25. They're on the edge of this land that God's about to bring them into, right? So they're going to be gathered together in this land and it's going to be great. It's going to be the time of their lives as a nation. It's going to be really good. But there's a warning as they're coming into the promised land. So Deuteronomy chapter 4. Look at the warning that God has for his people Verse 25, after you've had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you become corrupt and make any kind of idol, which is a false god, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. Now listen to this, verse 27. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. And so basically he's saying, if you don't live following the Lord in the land, if you worship other gods, you're going to get judged. How? You'll get scattered out from the land that you gathered in and away from each other. Now, I could show you a lot more in the rest of the Old Testament, this history of being scattered in judgment and blessed in being gathered, but we don't have time for it. So I just got a slide that pretty much summarizes the rest of the Old Testament. That's pretty much where things head from here, right? Now, by the end of the Old Testament, there is a sense in which some of God's people have been gathered together again. But for the most part, most of God's people have been spread out all over the globe, The nation itself was just kind of disintegrated and there's a few people left following God by the end. It's a bit of a downer by the time you get to the Old Testament. And so here's the pattern that we see right through the Old Testament. God blesses through gathering people together and he judges through what? Scattering people. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, before before we move on to the next point, I want to just apply this for us as we think about what this means for us right now. Because... Even in the age of social media and Instagram, which is a new Facebook apparently, where people are more connected than ever before, people are still more lonely than ever before. (laughs) We're more lonely today than we ever have been. As people, we're built for relationship together. I said that before, we're built for relationship. It's how God's wired us. And the thing is, we tend to seek to fulfill that need of relationship in a whole bunch of ways. And so we'll kind of put all our hopes on different relationships around us. So we'll press all our hopes onto a friend group or onto a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a family or in the future when you get married, maybe some kids and your wife and so on. But on their own, those relationships can't meet all the needs that you have 
for relationship completely. It won't fulfill you in that sense. You need to recognize that you've been built for relationship, that's true, but particularly for a relationship with a God and built to be gathered into a community of people under Him, as well as all sorts of other relationships. And so guys, do you realize, if you're a Christian, do you realize what a blessing it is to be gathered together as a people? It's huge. It's a wonderful thing. Now, we're going to talk lots more about that this week because it's the best thing. It's so good. Uh, But right at the outset, I just want us to catch this. It's a blessing to have been gathered by God. It's an awesome thing. The church is an amazing gift from God. EV Youth is a blessing from God to you. You guys are a gift from God to each other. I don't know if you thought about that. Now, back to kind of the story we were telling as we worked our way through the Old Testament there. What's going to happen to God's people? We saw the little sad face at the end of the Old Testament. Things aren't looking too good. So will God's people ever be gathered together properly again? What's going to happen to them? Well, let me ask you this question. If I said to you and you you answer this in your heads, right, why did Jesus die? What would be the first thing that would come to your mind? If I said, why did Jesus die? I reckon, unless you're cheating and you're looking at the paper in front of you, you would say things like, Jesus died to forgive my sin. Jesus died to save me from God's judgment. That's the kind of stuff most of us, I reckon, would say if we ask the question, why did Jesus die? Here's the second thing I want us to see this morning, though. It may surprise you a little bit. Jesus died to permanently gather the church. Jesus died to gather the church. Come into the New Testament with me. Come to John chapter 11. Now, in John 11, what you've got is you've got some Jewish guys who are plotting to kill Jesus. One of them is a high priest named Caiaphas. So these guys aren't necessarily the good guys. They're the guys who want to get Jesus killed to kind of save their own skin because Jesus is annoying them, right? But one of the guys, Caiaphas, when he speaks in this passage, he says something that's actually way more true than he actually realizes. Have you ever said something that's kind of like heaps more true than you actually meant it to be? Like literally, like you're having dinner with a friend and you're like, man, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. And then your friend is just like, (laughs) and you're like, what? And they're like, my horse died because someone ate it. You know, like you say something meaning one thing, but it's actually way more true than you accidentally meant it to be, right? That's what's happening here with this guy, Caiaphas. Look at John chapter 11, verse 48. Now, 49, sorry. So they're debating, what do we do with this Jesus guy? He's annoying. We should get rid of him. And then verse 49 of chapter 11 in John, look what this guy says. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. So he's like, this Jesus guy, he's causing troubles. Let's kill him. He's just one man and it'll be good for the whole nation. So he's just trying to save his own skin and get Jesus out of the way, right? But look at what the writer of John actually says was really going on there. So John, the guy who wrote this, kind of got some commentary. Verse 51, John says, Now Caiaphas didn't say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. So what's John saying there about why Jesus died? 
He said that he died for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one, to gather them together. So Jesus died to gather a people. He did do that by paying for their sin and saving them from God's judgment, but the result is that he was dying to gather the church. Jesus died to gather the church. I don't know if you realise that's what the church is. You can kind of gauge how important something is based on how much effort goes into pulling it off, right? So your mum spends a bunch of hours slaving over a hot stove. I don't know even, do people own stoves? I don't know. But you know, your mum's cooking, right? Over a hot microwave all afternoon to make family lunch happen. And you're like, okay, she's put a lot of effort into that. This gathering must matter today at family lunch, right? Your friend is throwing a party and so for months they plan this party and they're planning out all the details and stuff, making their Spotify playlist and blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, my friend must really care about this party that they're putting all this effort into doing. You come away on fat and people come here for days to set up sound gear and cook food and put up tents and do all this stuff and it's like, this thing must really matter. People are putting in a lot of effort to pull this thing off. Do you see how important the gathering of God's people is? Jesus died to make it happen. Jesus died to gather us together so that entirely by grace we can be forgiven of our sin and gathered to a people under Jesus. I've got a couple of pieces of application for us about what that means. First thing is this, I want to challenge all of us here this week, consider carefully whether you will be a person this week who will personally be gathered into Jesus' church this week. Will you become a Christian this week? I'm not asking you to make a decision about that now, I just want to flag that for you, that that is what's on offer this week. Become a Christian, be gathered into this people that Jesus died to create. And if you do that, one awesome thing you'll be getting this week is you'll be getting... Uh, you get to become a part of this community that Jesus died to create. I don't mean you just have friends at either youth, but you'll actually be united into the people of God when you become a Christian, which is a great thing. But not only that, you get a relationship with the God who made you and that lasts forever. It's a great thing to do. And so I just want to challenge you guys to consider really carefully this week, will you be gathered into the people that Jesus died to make, to make these people? Now, I need to say this as well. Guys, becoming a Christian is purely by grace. Being saved is 100% by grace as a free gift from God. So it's not something that you earn. Jesus didn't die on the... Jesus did die on the cross to save you from your sin and to save you from God's judgment. That is true. That's 100% true. His death was in our place. So that if our trust is in Him as the person who saves us, as our Saviour and as our Lord who runs our life, Forgiveness is offered and you're invited in to be joined into this people under Jesus. And so we consider that carefully this week. Second thing though, value the church that Jesus died to create. Value it like you rightly should. Now when I say church, I do actually mean either youth as well. Now, I'll qualify what I mean by that in another talk so we can talk more about what I mean by that. But the point is, church doesn't have to happen on a Sunday, right? And so, will you value the church that Jesus died to create? See, I don't don't know how important you think church is, gathering with God's people is, 
But uh, <laughs> Jesus died to make it happen. And so if you got your head around that, if you got your head around what the church is, what would stop you from gathering with God's people? I don't know if many things would. There will be some things, but not many things. If you, if you wanted to play a sport that clashed with getting along to youth or church on a, on a weekend, would you play that sport or would you choose to give it up? Would you kind of stick your neck out at work and say, I really don't want to work on a Friday night or a Sunday morning or Sunday night or whenever it is because you want to get along to church? Would you do that? Would you stick your neck out like that and, and, and actually ask for something like that? Would you take a job that meant you couldn't go to church anymore because of the clash it made? If you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend that wanted to hang out when church was on, would you show them how much the gathering with God's people meant to you such that you'd actually do that instead of hanging out with them? What if there's a party that looks more fun than church? What would you do? Value the church that Jesus died to create. Get your head around how important that gathering is. Here's the third thing. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? That's a pretty common question. A lot of people ask it. And I'll I'll have a go at answering that at this point, right? Um, See, lots of people I meet will say, I do like Jesus, I want to be a Christian, I like the idea of that, but I don't really want to go to church. Um, It's it's a little bit boring, I couldn't really be bothered. And so, you know, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? People ask that question. And on the one hand, you do need to see that we're saved, like I said, by grace. So you're not saved by earning your way into heaven by going to church and being a part of youth group and whatever. That's not what saves you, right? You're saved by grace, but you are saved so that you would gather with God's people. You're saved for the purpose of being a part of this people. So it would be a little bit like someone saying, hey, guess what? I've got some tickets to Disneyland that I'm going to give you for free. And you'll be like, great, thank you for these tickets to Disneyland. Quick question. When I get to Disneyland, do I have to like, go on any of the rides or like do anything fun there or is it right if I just kind of sit there and you're like what (laughs) the whole point of these tickets is so that you'll go and enjoy the things that are in Disneyland Uh, to say yeah I want to be a Christian but I don't want anything to do with the church it's kind of like missing the whole point of becoming a Christian (laughs) you're missing out on what you were saved to do to be gathered into a people it's a free gift of grace but the purpose is that you would be gathered And so if you're someone who is saying that, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian, but I really have no interest in church, I reckon one of two things is going on for you. Either it is the case that you genuinely are a Christian, but you've you've missed the whole point of what Christian life is about, or it could be the case that actually you think you're a Christian, but as you kind of press into that, you've missed the whole point of what Christian life is about, and actually you're maybe not even a Christian, and that's why you've missed the point could be either of those things but either way we're saved by Jesus so that we'd be gathered into a people (laughs) and so it's just a crazy question to ask do I have to go to church if if I'm a Christian you are saved to be gathered and on top of that I want to say it would almost be it'd be very difficult to stick it out in the Christian life uh, if you aren't a part of church here's the last epic thing I want us to see in this passage tonight though one more thing that we've got this afternoon here it is And this will help us get the picture of why the church is so awesome anyway. The church is a living trophy for the glory of God. I need to have a drink. Um, Flip to Ephesians chapter 3 though. Now, 
To get what's going on in Ephesians chapter 3, you do need a little bit of background to understand this passage. It's an amazing thing that we're about to see in this passage in Ephesians, but you need a little bit of background info. So what are some of the biggest divisions that exist in our society today, right? There's some big ones out there. Um, People who on Facebook thought that the dress was white and blue and people who thought that the dress was white and gold... Big division, right? Big problems, all sorts of tensions. Um, On a more serious note, like racial tensions and rich and poor, all sorts of divisions exist in our society. Private school, public school, blah, blah, blah. There's all sorts of divisions, right? Imagine seeing someone who managed to get rid of all those divisions that existed and brought all those people together. Imagine this. Imagine seeing, imagine you're walking through a park and you see like Harry Potter and Lord Voldemort just chilling. We'll get a slide up, right? My wife drew this. It's pretty sweet. Keep going. Come on. Ah, uh, worst thing ever. I had a drawing for this and it's not in the slideshow and I don't know why. Oh, well, I might show you the drawing at the start of the next talk. Doesn't matter. All right. Imagine though, you see Harry Potter and like Lord Voldemort like hanging out on a swing set together and they're like, wee, and they're best of friends. You'd be like, whoa. What happened to bring Harry Potter and Lord Voldemort together like that? They're getting on well now. Someone's done some good work kind of bringing those two together, right? If you saw that, you'd be blown away. You'd be pretty impressed by the person who managed to pull that off. That's the secret that's going on here in in Ephesians chapter 3, right? Jesus has got rid of the biggest division that existed in his time. And it may not sound like much to us, but it was the division between Jews and non-Jews, the Gentiles. It was the division between the people who for centuries had been called God's people and the rest of the world. So look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. Here's the secret, the mystery. This mystery is that through the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members of one body and sharers together of the, in the promise uh, in, in Christ Jesus. You catch that? Israel, the Jews and the Gentiles are now together people who are going to inherit this, this promise from Jesus. They're sharers together in that. So that in verse 10, look at what the church is now. Just by its very existence, check out what the church is doing. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. They've been brought together and God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rules and authorities in the heavenly realms. The entire wisdom of God and all in, in all that that is, is now on display to the universe. How? How do you see how good God is, his incredible wisdom and and power and so on? Through the church. So basically what's that saying is that as, as you look at the church, you're seeing God's power, God's wisdom on display. The church in its existence is like a living, breathing trophy that points to how good God is. Such that you can almost imagine, as the church is gathered together, you can almost imagine God pointing at it and going, I created that. Look what I did. I brought all those scattered people together and made them one. I did that. 
the church is displaying how good God is. It's displaying the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. And so, is the church irrelevant? Does the church matter? (laughs) Well, according to God, it matters more than anything else except for God himself. The church is an incredible accomplishment of God. It's a blessing from God. Jesus died to create it. It's a trophy that points to the glory of God. And so, yeah, the church matters. matters a whole lot. And so, guys, love the church. Love the church. And it's worthwhile realizing as you do that, that it's not always easy to love the church and the people in it and the people around you there. Because people will still do bad things to each other. People will still gossip and hurt each other and say stuff that's painful. They'll do stuff that hurts. Anytime, in fact, in life that you get close to people, there's potential for you to get hurt by that because people are pretty good at hurting each other. And the same is true of having friends or having a family or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, whatever. Anytime you're close to people, there's a big danger that that's going to be painful and things will happen that are hurtful. And it is the same in church. But if you get what the church really is, if you get how incredible it is that it's a blessing from God, that Jesus died to create it, that it's a trophy to the glory of God, that'll cover over a whole bunch of hurt in this life as things happen in church. See, maybe for you right now, church is actually pretty fun. Maybe you have a bunch of fun, you get along to EV Youth, you see your mates, you sing some songs that you like singing, you kind of the talks are all right and so church is is fun it's it's pretty good it's not a hard thing to commit to right now maybe maybe it is hard but what will you do when the people at church actually cause you a bit of pain what will you do when you're let down by the people around you what if the leaders of church let you down and do something that hurts you what if you have a fight with the people there What will you do then? What will you do when church gets hard? What if in the future you finish school and you move to uni and you move to another town or another state or something like that and you have to find a new church there and the only church worth joining in that town is the church that preaches the Bible and has people in it that love each other and you find that church but when you get there, it's actually pretty boring. Instead of a nice building, they meet in a school hall. Instead of singing modern songs, the songs are a little bit outdated, a little bit embarrassing. Uh, The people are all younger than you or older than you. The sermons are still true and they're from the Bible, but, well, they're a little bit boring and, you know, it's not the application, I don't know, whatever. You know, you get there and church is hard and boring and the people are different. It's going to happen for a lot of us. And can I urge you, when it does, see the church for what it is still. See the church through God's eyes as a blessing from God, the church that Jesus died to create as a trophy for His glory. I had a guy who went through Eva Youth with me when I was a leader at Eva Youth. Um, And so he grew up through church in Eva Youth. After school, he moved to another town and started going to church there because he went to uni in another town, right? Um, and after a year, I caught up with him and I said, how's church going? And he said, it's different. Uh, it's not as good. Like, I love EV and it's heaps good and I'll visit that when I'm back. But it's kind of hard when I'm at this other place. I don't like it as much. Um, everything's just a little bit different. I don't get on with the people as well. The music's kind of a bit awkward. The teaching's it's still good teaching, but it's not great. Um, 
you know, I've got more in common with the people who are in my class at uni than I do with the people at church. I don't actually like hanging out with them as much. And so he's just kind of struggling and he admitted that he'd kind of stopped going to church. A year later, he basically wasn't living life as a Christian because he'd given up on church and very quickly he started to give up on God. Now, the moral, now is the moral of that story, make sure you don't move away from either youth and go to another church because if it isn't as good, you might not like it and then you'll start to drift away. <laughs> is that the point? No, that's not what I'm trying to say at all because many of you should move away for good reasons, to do good things in other parts of the world. The point is that wherever you are in the world, whether it's at either youth or somewhere else, see the church through God's eyes. Don't get tricked into looking at church superficially. If it's a genuine church that teaches the Bible, that loves each other, that's a good church and so see it for what it really is. See the church the way God does. As a blessing, a church that Jesus died to gather together and unite as a trophy to the glory of God because that's what it really is. And when you see that, it really is the most amazing thing in the world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the blessing it is to be gathered under the Lord Jesus. And thank you for the physical expression of that this week as we hang out together. Father, thank you so much for Jesus who went to the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we would be gathered together. Father God, please help us to love the church. Please help us to see it for what it really is and hold on to that vision of it for the rest of our days. Amen.